We caught up with Joel Garbin some time ago. He did a presentation about the Urantia book at a UFO event. His presentation caught my attention, and we have remained friends ever since. But in this discussion you are about to hear about the UFO ancient alien connection, what I found in my research recently is that the earliest ancient kingdoms of men have a striking resemblance to the various ancient aliens of our past, which were many according to the Urantia book. For example, the Urartians and the Akkadians of eastern Turkey emerged from Lake Van, the same spot the Urantia book says the Adamites and Nodites lived for thousands of years. Our very understanding of human evolution does not account for advanced past civilizations, and yet we have more than enough evidence to show there were, in fact, ancient advanced civilizations. Where did they come from? And many of these ancient advanced civilizations gave birth to some of the world's oldest religions. We will talk about all of this, plus some insight into what is going on today with government cover-ups of so-called alien races. It's a lot to uncover, and we will, with my guest Joel Garbin, on this episode of the Urantia Radio Podcast. And I want to welcome my guest, Joel Garbin. He's been on the program before. You might remember in previous podcasts, we went into a lot about uh, ufology, UFOs, ancient aliens, and how they relate to the teachings of the Arantia book. And Joel, I, I consider to be sort of an expert, but at the same time, he's also a Arantia book reader, so he knows the Arantia book, and it makes it easy and possible for us to have this kind of conversation, which I think is quite unique, not only to Arantia book readers, and but would also prove to be interesting to people who are into ufology. So uh, hopefully people who are finding this podcast and, and who are into things like ancient aliens might find what we have to say quite interesting. How are you, Joel? And Happy New Year to you. Oh, thanks, Jim. Yeah, I'm doing great, and I'm really happy to reconnect with you and revisit this topic uh, about the UFO ET matters and uh, life on your ranch. Just seems like it's all mixed together. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, these are no, no question uh, interesting times. Um, what makes some of it interesting is that in the last few months, as you know, because you and I have been talking about this, but apparently when it comes to UFOs, uh, a lot of Americans are convinced that we are, our government, are, are engaged with intelligent life forms from other worlds. Uh, is, that, is that your assessment, that there is a belief right now that we are engaged with an intelligent life form and have been for quite some time? Oh, I'd say it's much more than a belief, Jim. This is really a proven fact. There's been expert testimony from within the intelligence communities, military community, military industrial contractor community, whistleblower testimony provided to congressional panels, hearings on this topic because of the the high credibility of the testimony of these whistleblowers. And where so much of this kind of reached a head, where it kind of exploded onto the media scene, happened this past June, uh, June of, of 2023, when a, a gentleman named David Grush 
came forward as a whistleblower and gave his testimony uh, from the standpoint of his position as a former uh, U.S. Air Force officer. Uh, he worked in the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and in the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, he gave testimony to the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and he he gave his testimony that there are uh, not only real alien, as an ET, UFO uh, crashed vehicles that had been recovered, many of them, but also what was termed biologics, meaning actual bodies of of extraterrestrials, That's, you know, supposedly the pilots of these craft. Now the uh, the attorney, well, the uh, the inspector general for the intelligence community, he found that the the complaint that was filed by this David Grush that all of this information had been suppressed by the Pentagon, the the inspector general found that this was a credible complaint. And he said, it's also urgent. In fact, he, he quote unquote said, this is credible and urgent. And that the intelligence community has inappropriately withheld information on this topic from Congress. So it's not unusual that members of Congress and even the White House itself have been excluded from what's really been going on on this whole topic of, of UFOs and, and ET for, for uh, well over uh, uh, generations. Uh, it, it's been at least 70 years, maybe longer, uh, but certainly it goes back uh, to the 1940s uh, where a lot of activity was happening. Everyone's heard about the Roswell incident in New Mexico back in the 40s, and, uh, and people have heard bits and pieces of that. But, but just going forward from there, there's been all kinds of, of activity that has gone on with the U.S. military getting involved with this phenomenon, with uh, crash retrievals, with weapons programs to actually be able to target and bring down extraterrestrial craft. And most recently, uh, this topic has been taken so seriously in the Congress that there was a bill proposed by the Senate that required the full disclosure of the Pentagon and any military industrial contractor companies, and these would be the big big uh, aerospace contractors, you know, like the Boeings and the, the, the uh, Lockheeds, et cetera. But they had to turn over everything they have on this, whether if, if they have any types of artifacts from these crash retrievals, if they've done any type of back-engineered technology from what they've learned from these recovered materials, uh, if they have any information regarding the occupants of those crafts or anything else pertaining to this matter, that they would be required to turn this over by law to, to the congressional uh, folks, our elected officials. And also this bill had in it the provision that there would be a, a public oversight 
committee on this process, and that Congress would have full subpoena power to call forward any whistleblowers or any personnel connected with the phenomenon that might be within the Pentagon or in the intelligence community uh, or in these uh, military industrial contractor companies. Now, when that bill was put forward, it caused a huge stir within the Pentagon and within the military industrial companies. And they lobbied very, very hard to have those provisions that required the this uh, this information to be turned over to Congress. They lobbied hard against that. They lobbied hard against the, the Public Oversight Committee, and they lobbied hard against the subpoena power. Now, what that clearly is, is just continued cover-up activity. If they have nothing to hide, then why all of this fierce resistance to the provisions in that bill? So this is this is a very high level uh, situation going on, and I have some personal contacts who are who are pretty deeply embedded in this whole thing, uh, including Daniel Sheehan, who is a constitutional lawyer who's been in, involved in some very high profile uh, court cases. Anyone who looks up Daniel Sheehan. Uh, you will you will find uh, you know his his profile. Uh, brilliant man. Uh, he has served as the general counsel for both the what's been termed the disclosure project, uh, which is is tried to to bring out uh, hundreds of these whistleblowers uh, in front of Congress. Uh, he also has been the general counsel for several of these individual whistleblowers, uh, including uh, the folks like David Grush, who, who gave his testimony uh, most recently. Now, now, what Daniel Sheehan has done is he has set up a, an office in Washington, D.C., uh, pretty much right across from the Supreme Court, uh, and it's it's called the New Paradigm Institute. And what it is doing right now is it is facilitating meetings between the few dozen most significant whistleblowers and members of Congress so that members of Congress can hear the full story, unadulterated, unfiltered, so that they know firsthand what that testimony is before they go into congressional hearings. And what, so it's a huge uh, me, service. There's a lot of stuff that you covered there. What are they? What is everybody whistleblowing about? Are they whistleblowing about the fact that there's been alien technology? Are they whistleblowing the fact that we are currently, right now, at the present age, having uh, interaction with these alien forces that don't live and they're not from this world? What exactly are? It's it's always like uh, I, I get the same feeling talking to you as I get when I'm watching watching an episode of Ancient Aliens. There's all this stuff going on, but it never really gets to a conclusion. What is it? That's what I want to know. What is it that everybody, will somebody please say what it is that they're whistleblowing? What is the truth here? You know what I'm saying? So, Jim, yeah. So I'd ask you to, to put yourself in the shoes. Let's say you're a sergeant in our armed forces. And you're part of a, a task team that is an emergency response core 
of highly trained military professionals that when you get a call to go recover a crashed object, and you might think that that recovered crash is maybe it's a Soviet military jet or a Chinese drone or or who knows what. Yeah. And then you go to that scene, and what you find is this is a saucer that has no visible entrance to it because the engineering of the craft is such that there's no visible seams, no bolts, no rivets, maybe no windows, no way to get in or out, all right? And then you see that there are bodies next to it that are not Earth human bodies humanoid yes but not not clearly uh definable as as earth humans and then you see that what is immediately mobilized are all of these other uh military or special ops teams that are telling you immediately that you just do your job and you shut up. You don't tell anybody what's going on here or there's going to be serious consequences. And then and then as as you, Jim, in that capacity as a sergeant, you you find out over years what's going on in that there's a back engineering program going on, that this this technology that appears to be alien in nature is being weaponized. And it's being used in various covert ways and that the funding for those programs are coming from a black budget program that is funneling over the years hundreds of billions, perhaps trillions of dollars of taxpayer money into black budget programs where there is no congressional oversight and that this has been going on for a long time. And then you find out that that wasn't the only uh, particular incident, but that there have been dozens of these recoveries that have gone on. And so now you, Jim, you find out from your buddy network, and now maybe you are uh, retired from the military, and you've been watching the state of our world. I I, I get that. I get what you're saying about the the guy who's in that, that position. But we're so far beyond, I think you, you kind of answered the question. The, the big surprise here or the big revelation here is that we have come across alien technology and our government has figured out a way to reverse engineer a lot of this technology. Maybe some, uh, you know, Boeing, uh, some of these other entities, these agencies have, have benefited. Okay, so, but, but you're, you're talking to a guy who grew up watching Star Trek. Close Encounters, yeah. Star Wars. I mean, the idea of life being out there is, is already almost uh, an a priori assumption because we have yeah, more than that's an, And that's why I kind of yeah. want to steer. Let's assume yeah. for the sake of all of this discussion, well, I don't need the government to tell me that there are extraterrestrials. I don't need them to tell me or confirm it. If they're hiding it, you know, someday we'll find out. I, I, I was convinced a long time ago when I heard that Eisenhower went to Palmdale one day to have a meeting with, you know, some representative from some other some other world. So I'm I'm in and I think you're in, too. That's why we're all so fascinated. But here's where the metal meets the road or the, the you know, what we're really talking about is that, number one, 
there is life out there and there and there's more uh, you and i being your rancho book readers understand that there is a plethora of life out there maybe the world is behind but we believe or at least the rancho books states that actually we're part of one system that's comprised of 619 other worlds very similar to our own maybe some a little different okay so let's narrow in on that let's assume that there is life out there let's also assume that our planet has been visited many times over the past millennia we have a uh, the arantia book says that they showed up 500,000 years ago and if you want to go back to the life carriers they showed up well over a billion years ago to to kind of get things going to where evolutionary life would appear again it's no big deal but my question is how come we never connect what the arantia book says about there being an advanced uh, spiritual and morantial life form that has been part of the growth of this world we we're living in a in a grand organized living universe there's a purpose to all this madness and that all of these ancient aliens that were visiting our worlds are exactly the ancient aliens that the Arantia book describes. The Nodites, the Adamites, the sons of Adam, Adam and Eve, Caligastia is 100. There's the other piece of the missing puzzle. Uh, if you look at a map of all of these olden kingdoms, the Akkadians, the Urartians, it, goes back, it starts to diminish around 5000 BC, which is basically when the Andites their last dispersion, and and, and we can go into the Andites and all that. Don't you think that's a better story? Isn't is? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Jim, it is a better story. And part, I mean, personally, part of my purpose in my connections with many of the the UFO researchers has been to get them to examine the Urantia material. Because it does paint such a seamless picture as far as a highly inhabited universe, civilizations that clearly have existed for far longer than the humanity on this planet, and that much of of the the early civilization, if not all of it, uh, in in, uh, Earth history, came from beings... Who, who were technologically advanced. They came from worlds like the Caligastia 100. Those were 100 individuals who had lived human lives on 100 other planets from our local system, each of those planets significantly older than our own planet. And they undoubtedly would have had, among that mix of 100 beings, all kinds of advanced knowledge about science, engineering, construction methods, energy, propulsion, you name it. Just a a whole box of tools, uh, in other words, that could be used to advance civilization here on this planet. So that makes great sense uh, to me, and I think to other people who see that the story is told in great detail in the Urantia book. And so when you watch a program like Ancient Aliens, which you referenced, they kind of pull out little pieces 
of this, of archaeological discoveries, all kinds of speculation about things. They're trying to, to tie it into the, the current uh, UFO disclosure movement and all that. But they, they have all these missing pieces. They don't have any type of real coherent and consistent explanation for, for no, what's they don't. Going on here. No, and, and, and your answer book lays it out beautifully. Yeah, let me let me out. throw out some examples. So, Joel, I I pulled up. I did. I've been studying this for about I don't know three or four months. I went back and I looked at all of the oldest empires, meaning that these were groups or areas of of the world where there was some kind of like advancement going on, like they were smarter than what was going on around them and and it was localized localized advanced societies the sumerians are the oldest ones that we have on record and they go all the way back to 4500 now the arantia book makes the claim that these are the last of the andites who are the andites the andites are a an amalgamation of the the descendants of adam uh, and the descendants of the nodites which was in reference to the planetary prince that showed up half a million years ago the appearance of the colored races then we have the indus that's the second oldest civilization the harapin uh, empire the third oldest the egyptian empire and i'm doing this in chronological chronological order and i'll save everybody a lot of time as i look through each one of these different groups what i notice is that they correlate with exactly what the urantia book says is what happened as the adamites and the andites uh uh emerged from Mesopotamia, Babylonia, and all these ancient uh, Southwest Asian and Persian areas, Mesopotamia and all that. And so there's connective tissue here to show that we, we are the descendants of these ancient aliens. Yeah, and I think that's, I love how you, you walked along that timeline of all these, you know, fairly well-researched uh, historical uh, civilizations you know something jim that the arantia book lays out is all of the different nodite uh centers yes of, of civilization it wasn't just like one little group like the quote-unquote the land of nod right but it says there were there were basically four different centers of nodite civilization there there was the western uh, Nodites, who were, who were basically uh, around Syria, who later became the Assyrians. Okay, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, the East and the, the Babylonian Empire. That's correct. That's right. Yes, exactly. You had the Eastern Nodites, who who were the Elamites, and those were the quote unquote land of Nod uh, people. Mm -hmm. You had the Central Nodites, who were around the mouth of the Tigris Euphrates, where the Sumerians mm -hmm. were were kind of the last remnants of those Central Nodites, and then the Northern Nodites, who were who were described as being the descendants of Van and Amadon. Okay, uh, they were established around Eastern Turkey or Armenia, which is where Lake Van itself is located. And guess what is right in that area? It's the, the very famous archaeological excavation of Gobekli Tepe. That's right. Okay. Which goes back 12,000 years. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So and, and, the Arantia book really, really can connect that to the the Nodites, who who first, you know, the Nodites really came about two hundred thousand years ago. 
Yeah. So they had all kinds of time to to build uh, c- uh, cities, to build megalithic structures. The Andites, who you referred to, who came along later, who were who were the blended race of the the Adamites and the Nodites, and generally going back to about thirty thousand years ago, and then moving forward, you know, they were described in the Urantia book as great builders. And that they were actually the ones who who built the pyramids, the obelisks, uh, these other uh, megalithic structures. They were great explorers, meaning that, look, these guys, they were going around the globe. They were carrying their their technology, their their construction prowess, their engineering skills. They're carrying these around. So that easily explains how come there are pyramids all around the globe that date back thousands of years. You know, two groups so, that are probably yeah. more of the well-known ancient kingdoms are the Akkadians, or the Akkadians, which existed around 2500 B.C. They are the descendants of the, as you mentioned, the northern Nodites, Lake Van region, as well as the Urartians, which is very similar mm-hmm. to the term Urantians, if you... Uh, if you could see it phonetically. But again, you know, the Olmecs, you mentioned about how the Andites then spread out, the Adamites spreading out their seed. Uh, The Olmecs, another very ancient civilization. And and see, to illustrate, I think, this, Joel, and I know you know this, but this is not consistent. What we're talking about here is inconsistent with the scientific view of evolutionary man because science has it that the farther you go back the dumber we are and yet if you go back and and you go back really far you start to find out that there were these advanced civilizations why would there be advanced civilizations farther back like you say go black tepe it's twelve thousand years old in fact the farther you dig the more uh intricate the designs are of the of the grand structures that they built I, I tend to think maybe they were trying to preserve it. Uh, I was also reading the Arantia book today, which is something I hadn't really noticed before. But they said there was a great climactic change that occurred around 10, 12,000 B.C. Uh, it had to do with glaciers advancing, winds shifting, because up to that time, the Mesopotamian and va- uh, valleys were like the fruited plains of the United States. There was pastoral living, there was agricultural living. It led to the advancement of culture in China and in Western China and Tibet. So all of this portends to the fact that we are the offspring of a one-time advancing civil civilization that that came here to uplift us biologically and spiritually. And so that's the whole point of this conversation that you and I are having. Nobody seems able to connect the dots that all these ancient aliens were actually spiritual in nature, I believe. And whoever we're dealing with now may very well be aliens from another world, maybe. But I don't know if they're part of that the, the group of the seraphic governments, the most highs. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I have trouble connecting... Yeah. The, the aliens that we're talking to today, supposedly, what's their connection to the seraphic government? What's their, what's their connection to Michael? What's their connection to uh, Mel- the Melchizedeks? Any ideas on that? Well, yeah, so those, those are great questions. And I, I, I want to go back just real quickly to a comment you just made about all of these 
advanced uh, civilizations or these advanced groups of, of human races being spiritual, certainly the original intent yeah. when Kalagaski arrived half a million years ago with his staff was to uplift human civilization not only through advancement in culture and technology and, and such, but also imparting basic spiritual truths. Now, as we know, in the rebellion 200,000 years ago, that went awry, and it was intentionally distorted, and it, it resulted in chaos on this planet. Uh, and, and basically took all the advancements that had been made among Earth humanity in that, that you know, uh, Middle East region and totally retarded it, total retrograde. So now humanity devolves back into barbarism, except for those pockets of civilization where they, they maintained some cohesion, some culture, some spiritual awareness and and they were able to continue to propagate some of those spiritual truths but that was spotty at best and a lot of those a lot of those succeeding uh, blended races uh, of these these 10 different races that emerged with the andites being the last of those 10 races you know a lot of the uh, of the spiritual wisdom had gone into complete darkness so we see all the wars, we, we see all the competition, we see the extinction of the orange race and the green race, uh, the submergence of, of other races. So, you know, th there was a lot of non-spiritual activity going on, uh, you know, through, throughout that time. Although the intent, the original intent was to uplift us with with a uh, real solid spiritual truth now i, I think you know coming uh, you know to uh later times uh, you know when we have these uh these observations of okay we've got apparent ufos apparent extraterrestrial visitation going back at least decades if not hundreds or thousands of years what's the connection well, if you look at what the Urantia book has to say about life carriers, you know, not only did we have life carriers appear on this planet, you know, a billion years ago and established life here on this planet uh, 600 years or 600 million years ago, according to the Urantia book, but they remain on the planet, a core of, of 14 life carriers that are here, still here right now. Those beings are not just uh, spiritual or morontial. They have the ability to, to exist in a third phase that is actually physical. And that's because they have to have the ability to actually do physical experimentation, biological uh, uh, manipulation, genetic engineering, and such. So they have laboratories, physical laboratories. They have to transport those laboratories from the, the universe headquarters to this planet. And the, the book says that the life experimentation that was done by the life carriers for this planet were actually done on this planet, meaning 
They had physical laboratories here. Well, those don't just magically appear out of, you know, out of the ethers. Those had to be transported here with real physical craft. Okay, so that means, you know, from our standpoint, that would have been a UFO. Okay, an actual physical craft with physical stuff, instruments, you know, experiments, uh, you know, uh, chemical chemistry going on, all all this stuff, you know, as well as who the support staff would have been, might have included engineers, electrochemists, all kinds of things who had who had high high skill and competency in genetic engineering. You know, I say that whenever, uh, real quick, as a as sort of a in illustration, Joel, I say that typically when we as humans go out and survey an area that we're about to, say, build up a mall, who goes out there first? The people that measure, the people that try to figure out yes. where, the, where are the poles going to go, where's the electricity going to go, where's the sewage and the pipes. There's, there's always these preliminary groups, and I would suspect in our early ages there were advanced spiritual agents, sometimes who could make themselves uh, in physical form, who would come here and lay the groundwork, which is what they did for the Garden of Eden. They assembled a group sure. of people who would go out and prepare the garden so that when Adam and Eve uh, could arrive, then they could begin to transform humanity, which is what they intended to do. Um, it's yeah, a, we would call we would call those civil engineers. Right. <laughs> These are the ones who plan the infrastructure. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So so there's a parallel to that. You know, you you look you look kind of next. Uh, you know, so. When we hear these accounts, these uh, witness uh, testimonies, including all the contactees who are out there, and there are millions of humans who claim to be contactees, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And I have met many, many of these personally, have had, had discussions with them. I've heard their stories. Some of the stories are, are very encouraging. Some of them are traumatic. But these are just regular people. Who have who have a very life changing and profound story to tell, and uh, you know, and there are again millions of people who claim to be contactees, meaning they've had they've had direct interaction uh, with with beings not native to this planet. Now, one of the things you come across routinely is that there there are descriptions primarily of two types of beings: these gray type. Of beings, you know, relatively small, the the kind of bug-eyed type that we've all seen, you like know, close kind encounters. Of the classic, uh, yeah. Yes. Then you also have what are described as the Nordics: tall, blonde, blue-eyed, beautiful people. Okay, highly intelligent, and, and who seem to have control over these gray beings. Okay, well, so who are these Nordics? Well, that those kind of fit the description of what the Urantia book calls the material sons and daughters or the Adamites. It, it, it describes them very well. Well, what might the material sons and daughters be doing here on, you know, extraterrestrial visitations to this planet? Uh, well, there could be a number of things. Are they doing surveys? Are they are they doing uh, kind of like biological inspections of the progress of of humanity and our genetics? Are they supervising 
what the what the impacts have been of radiation on this planet, of the chemicals that are saturating our environment, of the pollution in the biosphere, uh, of of the effects of the electromagnetic exposure that that virtually all humans have by way of of all of our our uh, electromagnetic infrastructure, including our cell phones, computers, all this stuff, all of which affects our biology. So are they monitoring us and and doing that monitoring through a type of, well, what's been known as the abductee phenomenon, where people are taken and then these experiments are done that often are traumatic in nature. And again, I've heard many of the personal accounts of, of these type of things. You know, uh, are they doing that? Are they doing that under... A benevolent purpose? Is there something else going on? Are these perhaps just visitors who are here observing and they're interested? They're scientifically interested because this planet is a decimal planet, meaning it's a life modification sphere. This is the planet where where, where Michael, the creator son, incarnated. It's also of interest because it, it, it has a, an archangel divisional headquarters on all kinds of reasons that, that advanced beings from elsewhere would have interest in this planet. So, so who are they? What is their purpose? It, it's a bit murky. It's hard to, to know exactly what it is. But what is clear is that there's, there are uh, abductee experiences. There are experiments done on the human beings who are, who are taken. And there's a hybridization program that's going on. It's active, okay, where where human women are impregnated and and basically gestate, uh, you know, uh, fetuses that aren't fully Earth human. And there's all kinds of accounts of this. And and I believe this is this is a, a very real program that's been going on for a long time, uh, at least you know many decades, uh, several generations. Yeah. Now and, you know, and my doctor and wants me to do this four times a year, go in for a blood test and roll your sleeve up, and do, so why wouldn't an advanced uh, race of people also want to keep tabs on our? Uh, whatever they're looking for, right? They want to see how we're doing, how we're progressing. It's very fascinating. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, and the concept of hybridization is not new because that's what the whole Adamic purpose was, was for for the direct descendants of Adam and Eve to increase in number to somewhere between a half million and a million direct line descendants. This is the violent race. And then they were to go out and interbreed with the evolutionary human races. Not Adam and Eve directly, but their their progeny, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. And that would produce a hybrid race of, of of the violent race, the Adamites, and the evolutionary humans, which were the, the six Sangit races, plus the Andonite race. And that would have uh, given new biological endowments to that hybrid race, which would have included higher intelligence, uh, a better physique, uh, higher spiritual capacity, um, you know, uh, increased lifespan, 
increased resistance to disease. All of these benefits that would have come from that hybridization program. And of course, as we know, with the default of Adam and Eve, that whole program went awry. So again, it became very spotty where those uh, those enhanced uh, genetic endowments occurred. And, and it was not uniformly uh, distributed through all of the races uh, of the, the evolutionary humans. It was, it was concentrated in generally the, what they called the, the primary Sangic races. And so it was not a uniform endowment. And that, that has been part of the problem as well uh, in, in what happens in later times with the subjugation of certain races by other races because they couldn't compete. They couldn't compete intellectually, technologically. And so you know what's gonna happen in those cases because we have all kinds of examples in human history. What happens when a more technologically advanced uh, group contacts one that is less advanced? You, you, it's very predictable what happens. One of them gets subjugated by the other. Or destroyed. And, and so that, yeah. that, yes, or destroyed completely. And well, it's happened many, many times. And let me also add, just if you look again, going back to the timeline, uh, you really start to see the nucleus, in my opinion, the nucleus of the atom effect on humanity around 5000 BC, because that's when we started to make the transition to more of a herder. Our food sources became better. Uh, we, we were more organized. It was the beginnings of trade. So you, you, Right about when the Adamic line or the Andite line starts to almost become uh, non-effective is when you start to see the emergence of human civilization. And now we're in that process. I, I think we're still early in that process uh, because, you know, five, ten thousand years is nothing when you when you think about the fact that humanity has been around for a million. So we've been in existence for a million years, but only in the last five thousand have we started to really evolve towards what we would consider to be a progressive civilization? And what what was the thing? What was the igniter? What started the fire? And I'll say it again because I think it's important. We are the descendants, or at least we have been interbred with a spiritually advanced civilization that brought their seed here. They brought their genetic contribution here, and we are the end result. And I think that is that is a headline. I, I and I'm not sure how it ties into the ancient aliens, but I think you've done a good job, Joel. And I also think there's a bit of irony to this whole thing because the number one co uh, company in the world today, to care to take a guess what it is? <laughs> well, it's it's probably uh, Tesla. <laughs> no, no, it's Apple. And the oh, Apple. and the story of the Apple goes back to the beginnings of when the garden fell and Adam and Eve were here. And yet here is this symbol of the apple, the, 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 the fruit of knowledge. Where did that knowledge come from? Um, of course, the narrative in the Bible is that Eve was tempted to eat from the apple and she wasn't supposed to. But I still think it's interesting that the apple is a symbol of the modern age. And that's where all of yeah, our real growth right. started it to come from. So, And it's technological, it's, right? It's technological. Wow, what a story. Well, look, yeah. we, we've so, been we've been uh, yapping for quite a bit. You want to bring this to a close here, and uh, I, I do, I do. I kind of want to circle back real quick, just to that bigger question about why the suppression yeah. of the the Pentagon's involvement 
awareness and active participation in this whole phenomenon of, of UFO ET. Well, look, that that technology exists, including free energy technology, advanced propulsion technology that can carry humans to the stars. That technology exists. So what do we hear every day? Climate change crisis, energy crisis, countries at war over resources, all of these things that if the if what is uh, if what the military and its allies have uh, essentially kept in secret as far as technological developments that could have a profound positive social effect for the world at large if those technologies were to be brought out rather than sequestered in black budget programs there would be no energy crisis warring over resources uh, all of these other false narratives about you know climate emergency uh, pollution everywhere those things could be addressed very very quickly and that it is not being rolled out to the public, even though we taxpayers have funded these covert programs, this is serious evil. And I, I, I'll really emphasize that. There is serious, at least human evil that has been going on here because we are living in this time, everything's a crisis. Everyone is always kept on edge by all the propaganda that we see out there. The, this is by design. It's meant to keep us agitated and angry, suspicious, and, and at each other in division, rather than coming together and, and advancing as a global culture that could alleviate these problems and, and get to the core truth about what's going on with our history here, because that has been obscured from us on purpose. The Arantia book shines a bright light on these things. And it is it is such a, a worthy and noble endeavor to become aware first for oneself and then to share that information with other people so they can see what's going on in present times with much better context. A, a historical context and a spiritual mindset that shows how it all the the full tapestry is is working together. Couldn't have said it better myself, uh, Joel Garvin, our guest here on the Urantia Radio podcast, and I look forward to our next discussion. I think you left a little bit there that we can continue in our next discussion about what these energy sources are and. And with that, Joel, I wish you uh, Godspeed, and I look forward to our next conversation here. Thank you, Jim. You take care. 